Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, we have Nico and Andy on the show from Ego Death Capital. And where this comes from is that uh, briefly going back and forth with Jeff Booth, who's the author of one of my favorite books, in which he discusses how technology is impacting the economy in ways that economists tend to miss. It's called The Price of Tomorrow. And uh, he mentioned that they're starting up a new, I guess a new fund that invests in Bitcoin-centric companies. And his partners in this are Nico and Andy. And I asked them, I guess, first of all, I asked them about their background and how they got into this and why they're doing this. So if you're interested in this space, here are a couple of, I would call them young people. Maybe maybe I'm old guy now. Everyone's looking young to me. But a couple of young people jumping into this with Nico and Andy as general partners with Jeff Booth in this fund. They have some great advisor advisors, Preston Pish and Lynn Alden are advisors into Ego Death Capital. So it's a great team. And just wanted to pick their brains on why they're jumping into this, their backgrounds, how, how they got interested in this. And I do a, a great job of embarrassing myself with Andy's last name because I clearly um, believe it's, a, it's an American last name. But when you hear her speak, you'll quickly realize how off I was. So um, they were gracious to share a whole bunch of fun information with us. And I really believe you're going to love this episode. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate investing in the middle of all the headlines and everything that's going on in the world right now, the best place to start is probably getting yourself more information. And one way we can possibly help with that is we have a series of reports. There are six or nine reports available now on different population things that are happening in the greater Toronto area, um, some case studies of investors we've worked with and the strategies they've, they've used to build passive income streams from real estate. And real estate's never truly passive. You're always managing something, either managing property managers or managing the properties. It's not a, a, a purely passive income stream, but it's, it's pretty good. Um, you can get all those reports at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. So if you want to get some information about the real estate market from people who are actually doing this with investors right here in the greater Toronto and Southern Ontario area, you can get copies of those reports to arm yourself with more information at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Nico and Andy. I'm going to Andy Pitt, your last name I can say. I always do this. I don't know why. My team, our team here always gives me a hard time because I always like obsess over people's last names. But I, Nico, is it Le, Le, Lechuga? Lechuga? Lechuga, yeah, that's it. It means uh, lettuce in Spanish. Okay, <laughs> lettuce in Spanish. Lettuce in Spanish, it. yeah. Got it. Yeah. The first thing that came to my head was like now, because we're talking about Bitcoin in a little bit, is that you better have diamond hands and not lettuce hands there. So uh, that's yeah. kind of the, the first thing. And Andy Pitt, I feel like that's like just, a classic American last name, is it? Well, I grew up in Australia and the name's oh, from cool. Ireland originally. My ancestors oh. on that side came from Ireland in like 1894, I think. We still have the record of their names. So it was twins that came from Ireland, ended up in Australia, and then the Pitt family kind of grew in Australia. Okay. Oh, got it. Very cool. Um, and I, I wanted to share one thing that, uh, Andy, that you were talking about, um, just about real, we talked before we started recording just about, you know, wealth and real estate and that kind of stuff. And 
my parents and my brother's parents who started this business are both immigrants here. Our father's from Croatia, our mother's from Scotland. They met here in Toronto. My dad was just telling me a story uh, that we've never shared before that uh, when he used to send my aunt money in Croatia, uh, it would be like a I, Western Union kind of thing. Um, but he would send like he would be able to save up 500 bucks and send it over to her. And the fee uh, was $50 that he would lose um, in all the fees. But then the, the worst part was the locals there would take $100 for themselves. Oh so like, gosh. you know, like, so the fee is not like there's there's the fee, but there's then there's how much you really get. So she would get so he worked hard here. He came to Canada, couldn't speak the language, didn't like the food, <laughs> wanted to go back. Um, luckily met our mom who was here for different reasons from Scotland. We were born, so we're the products of Canada, um, but they didn't have much coming here. But then he worked here, supported you know, his family back in Croatia, sent the 500 bucks and then $50 in fees and $100. And he said, my aunt would know that the people taking the money would go and use it for lunch. And like, just, they literally just took the money. So she would get $350 and they just chalked it up to cost of doing business. Like that was the way you got money. And I guess that is 1980s. So I am talking about some time ago, but flash forward to today. And I'm just thinking, wow, like if there was a different way, you know, and now there are better ways. And, and I'm sure we'll kind of talk about that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, just when you mentioned about real estate and stuff, I'm just thinking like it's, it is a, I would I feel like a, a Westerner's point of view to not understand the pain that the rest of the world might go through moving money around. Right. You know, like if you're born in Canada yeah. or the U S you don't quite get it, but, uh, and that anyway. was the eighties, but it's still the problem of cost of remittances is still a huge problem in so much of the developing world. And so many people from so many developing countries working and having incomes and then a huge proportion of what they're working so hard for is taken away. Um, we think there's, you know, some really interesting solutions in Bitcoin for that, but it's still a huge problem. And just, yeah. it's just an inefficiency, which is costing people their hard-earned money. And it's a pure inefficiency in the system, which is, can now be easily solved, we hope. So let's talk about your backgrounds and why you're doing what you're doing. So let's kind of get into this a little bit. And then we can start with either of you, maybe Andy, since you were speaking there, maybe we can start with you. Like, wh why, wh how did you get to this point? What's your background and what are you doing now? Can you just frame this for us? Yeah, so uh, my background, I grew up in Australia. Um, I always had a passion, I guess, for developing countries, emerging markets. I, I could never quite understand why I, growing up, I mean, we weren't by any means wealthy in Australia, but I had access, as in my family had very little money, but I had access to anything I needed, education, resources, healthcare, security, great quality of life. And I could never quite understand how people born in other countries could have it so differently, could end up in poverty and violence and in conflict and um, so that just always stuck in my mind and I was very passionate about how, how you can solve that but it became very clear that as I was learning and studying through university and high school like the system is broken and I ended up um, working for Goldman Sachs in Australia so I studied I was very good at maths so I got funneled through into maths and finance and then ended up with Goldman it was a great place where I could make a bit of money get my resume have that kind of solid foundation for myself going into life um, and I ended up working at Goldman for more than seven years, uh, got to work with some really brilliant people and just on really, really interesting transactions with really interesting companies. Um, I moved across to sit in New York on the trading floor. So I was sitting on the fixed income trading floor in New York in a team called Principal Funding and Investment. And we 
did a lot of crazy transactions in that team. Um, we were kind of looking around the world at where there were gaps in traditional markets um, or financing where you could come up with some interesting solution and deploy it in a big way. And then we would also have funding for it as well. Um, so one of the transactions we did was actually, we worked closely with SoftBank and the Vision Fund. Um, one of the transactions we did was Sprint and they needed to raise financing. So we took, they had all these spectrum rights, um, which were sitting on their balance sheet, like tens and tens of billions of dollars of rights to use certain bandwidths of spectrum, um, which now you're seeing being used for 5G and other kind of use cases for mobile. And they had this asset on their balance sheet and they couldn't monetize it. So we came up with a way that they could basically do a sale and lease back of those spectrum rights into a SPV and then issue debt out of that SPV. And then they could raise very, very cheap financing and able to sustain the business. Um, so that's the kind of the type of deals we would do where we would have assets and we could kind of come up with something really interesting of how to monetize them for a company. Um, I left, uh, at the end of the day, we were kind of shuffling money around for large corporations and I wanted to do something that was more meaningful for the world. Uh, I took time out and I actually ended up learning to code and creating an app for communities. Um, that was something I'd always wanted to do. And, um, so I kind of, yeah, I, well, I also took time out and traveled. So in Australia, it's very common to take a year or two and just to travel. So I actually took a year or two and just traveled. Um, went on a kind of a spiritual journey, I guess you could say, in India and lots of different places around the world. Um, worked on and off on creating this app and then ended up kind of talking to Nico. Nico was a, and I met and, and over the last kind of year or two, we've been talking a lot about emerging markets and financing and, and we both share this passion for emerging markets and inclusion and financial inclusion and, and changing the system and recognizing that a lot of the problems in our world come from a broken system. Um, and so long story short, that's kind of how we ended up, well, he's friends with Jeff. And then we started talking about Bitcoin and realizing it's this amazing kind of underlying technology that can solve so many things. And anyway, I'll let, I'll let Nico share the rest of the story. So, so you, you guys did not know each other before that kind of intermediary with Jeff? I didn't know Jeff, but Nico was friends with Jeff. Oh, okay. Oh, got it. I see. I see. Okay. Got yes. it. Got it. That's the connection. Got it. Yeah. And by the way, you say Australians travel, but Nico, before you get into it, Australians travel, I feel there's an area in, in Canada called Banff where everybody kind of go, I feel like it's right. half Australians. Like anytime anybody goes to Banff, there's just <laughs> yeah. Australians everywhere in the ski hills and the restaurants and the bars. It's all Australians. Sounds so yeah. Right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah, whenever you travel through Europe, you're always just bumping into Australians um, everywhere. So it is a big travel culture. Yeah, um, which is which is very cool. But yeah, sorry, Nico, I cut you off. No, 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 no problem. Um, thank you for having us on. It's great to talk to you, Tom. Um, so I started my career off. I actually was born in Southern California. I moved to New York for college, and then just never ended up leaving. Kind of like sucks you in, keeps you here, and then you have roots, and and uh, you find out it's a great place. But I started my career off in private equity, predominantly looking at projects in frontier and emerging markets, and that was really like a very shared passion for Andy and I. What was always so interesting about it, and this goes back to your, your remittance payment piece, um, is those transactions being done at scale still had this currency component that I always felt was like so inefficient of translating like a US dollar to a Ghanaian CD. Um, this peg or hedge that had to be in place for the transaction and um, just was like a few percentage points that when you're looking at it this way, like we might not think about... Um, the cost of a credit card transaction in a Western space. But when you're looking at some of these like 
financing deals. Like that's, that's a significant amount of money. And it always felt like so inefficient. It's so interesting now to like jump ahead and see like certain solutions that are being built or proposed on top of Bitcoin that solve that. Um, and it's fascinating. But after, so during PE, I had this passion project, still have a passion project in a consumer packaged goods space. It was actually like a, uh, started as a hot sauce company and then a spicy products company. And that company ended up kind of like taking off and allowed me to like wear the entrepreneur hat, but coming with this background of like wanting a very um, healthy balance sheet, wanting to have a cash flow positive business, we we're profitable within four months and then watching like scaling that. So how do we scale a product um, marketing it? And it gave me like a great idea as to wear that, wearing that entrepreneur hat and running a very, very healthy business. Jeff and I met like about halfway through that with Jeff, Andy, and I are all part of this group summit series, which is predominantly in the U S but really a worldwide um, group. They run events um, where they bring entrepreneurs together and you can network hear talks. Uh, Jeff and I went to the wrong dinner one of the nights at an event in LA and didn't meet one another until the end of the dinner a number of years ago. And he starts telling me, all about this book that he's going to be writing for his kids and this legacy that he wants to, to basically impart to them as to how he thinks the world should be. And I like for the next two and a half days, we just spent a lot of time together. And then at every other significant moment, I felt like through life and the business journey, I would reach out to Jeff as like wanting to hear his feedback. It's the same way that you, I think he, he touches people in this way that you're like, this is, this is a special person. He has a unique point of view and can synthesize seemingly complex information into uh, really digestible uh, bits of information. So we stayed in touch. We talked a lot. And I think uh, over the past number of years, so 2020 on, we're looking at like the macro view of the world. Um, he's talking about Bitcoin as a store of value. And Andy and I are, are diving into what's happening in emerging markets during this very tumultuous time period. And we're looking at what's happening on Bitcoin and this shift from um, a store of value to this information network and what can potentially happen and be built on top of that. And so I kind of put Jeff and Andy and myself together and we're like, you guys are great people. Like, let's see if this, this works out with different skill sets that solve um, things that each one of us don't, don't have. And I feel like there's a real opportunity for something here. And they, I mean, everybody was kind of at the same frame of mind. And that was the beginning of us starting Ego Death Capital. Yeah. It's, and so with the purpose of Ego Death Capital, because I just find this interesting that we're at a point in the world now where I feel like a lot of people are able to kind of like, not only follow their passion, but I feel like the impact that you can make on the world seems, I don't know, it just seems like it's a lot bigger to me than 10 or 15 years ago. I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because there's so many of us focused like there's this thing, Bitcoin that offers like a solution to so many different problems and we can all focus on it in our own unique ways, but all together, we're kind of raising everyone together. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's just interesting. But for you guys to start this, why, first off, like why the name Ego Death Capital? Like, what's the story here? This isn't like the typical name that I'm kind of running into. So give <laughs> yeah. us the story, give us the story. And then I have some questions uh, for you guys about your values and specifically your pillars that you have on your website. But yeah, give us the story about your name here. What's, what's going on? So we were doing like a, a branding naming exercise, uh, Andy, myself, and my wife, Lauren, who her background is kind of this. Um, and we're talking about 
the transition that's happening. We're talking about other uh, momentous moments in like history, time, Big Bang, helium, like eh, all of that. And um, Andy, uh, we, I think it was me or Lauren said like, what is that called in like a psychedelic journey or meditation um, when you lose that sense of self? And Andy jumped in with the, the name ego death. And we like toss it around a little bit. And we're like, that's, that's really powerful. That's really, I don't, is that too powerful? Is that, is that too much? Can we, can we run with that? Um, and he slept on it. And like the next morning was like, that's it. Like let's, I had dreams let's, about it all night. I was just like dreaming it. about the name ego death capital. And I was like, yes, it's the right name. Let's do it. <laughs> and that was, that was just Andy and I at the time period. So then we bring Jeff on and we're like, okay, here's the test. Does this work with him? Meanwhile, like Jeff is one of the few people, I think the number is like one in a million that can get to like ego death through meditation. Um, and so he was very familiar with this, this, this concept and the transition and what that goes with. And he was like, I love it. Let's do it. And then it really represents for us, I guess, this concept of going from the transitional moment we're going through of the structure as it is right now, which is very ego based. If you think about Wall Street, we think about those in power and the money and the structures and the lobbying and all of that, which is really about making money and more money for those in power. That's very ego-based to something that we're really shifting to. And I think this is exactly what you were just saying to something that's community oriented, that's bringing people together, that's distributed, that's decentralized. Um, and I think it's really, there's so many different trends happening in the world. One of them is psychedelics, meditation, this kind of spiritual, whatever you want to call it, shift but then also community and community formation and if we think about what the church used to provide and humans have always existed in kind of communities and bands and it's really the last few decades where all of those structures have been um just destroyed in a way we, we left the church but we didn't actually rebuild community structures and that's led to so much dislocation pain suffering loneliness which is causing mental health epidemics physical health and so this coming together of community is really powerful and i think that's one of the things that makes Bitcoin really powerful is the community it's coming together. And like you said, everyone being able to not just like the amount you can do individually is so much less than what you can do when you come together as a collective and, and everyone brings their own, their own strengths and, and kind of creating, creating a movement. Um, I think if it's you, really if you have to guess where, where does that, so Andy, we'll start with you. Then where does that come from? This whole concept of ego death for you? I want to ask about what type of investments you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing in a second. But now I'm curious on this. Where does this come from? Because I think each of us go through a, a, our own journey to kind of maybe challenge our ego or kind of get rid of your mm -hmm. ego. Is it like some psychedelic experience for you? And then what replaces the ego? Because I think something over the last maybe decade for myself that I've really tried to live by is I've had to kind of frame my own set of values or principles that I live by. Mm -hmm. And these are my principles and it kind of guides my own truth and my own decision-making. Um, and that's been really useful to me in the last 10 years. I don't think we had that maybe 10 or 15 years, but I didn't have that in my life. So I'm just curious, where, mm -hmm. where does this come from? Like where, what place does this come from? This whole concept of, you know, ego death. I mean, I've worked a lot with various plant medicines. Um, and so I've had various experiences. <laughs> I like how you smile when you say that. Yeah, yeah, got it. I'm yeah, not I sure what it. I'm allowed to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, it's been very, very powerful in, in healing. But, and as, if we think about ego death, there's nothing wrong with the ego per se, but it's, it's what 
gives us our identity. It's what allows us to navigate through the world as, as people. Mm. Um, but where we got to was really identifying with the ego and attaching to the ego and, and needing, we didn't have community structures. So we've been re- really needing to do everything for ourselves and prioritize ourselves, And that's come at the expense of others. And so the ego death is, you can have that experience where you completely lose the sense of self but what it actually the benefit is then recognizing that we're all interconnected that we're all kind of one human species here together on the planet effectively and we're all individuals and we do our own path but but we're part of a collective and we're part of a community and and our actions need to reflect that but it's not all just about ourselves it's about doing something which is of, of, of benefit for our community as well yeah, I think that's powerful because I think when you're younger or when I was younger, I felt like I had to take care of myself. Like I had right. to take care. And I've learned over the years that as you take care of other people, you're, you, you know, everything you need and want in life comes to you. Mm. And it sounds kind of so like airy fairy. Like I think if someone told me that 20 years ago, I just thought, oh, geez, like what are you reading? You know, like what's going on there? But I've just kind of come to realize that it seems to me that it's true. <laughs> like if you serve others and I, I do, you need to set up maybe a business structure or, or, or ways for capital and, you know, finances to maybe flow into your life, but you can't serve other people. And in serving other people, it does seem like you, everything you need is taken care of. Um, I guess someone listening to this, hearing maybe me for the first time, I just think I'm crazy kind of saying something like that, but uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's been my observation. Um, so it's interesting. I'm just fascinated how, you you know, people go through this journey. So Andy, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, Nico, how about you? Like, why did that resonate so much with you, this whole ego death capital? I think that if we look at like finance in, in general and really old finances being disrupted right now, um, it's very, very ego-based. Um, it, there's a degree of nepotism that's to it. And there's like walled gardens that exist throughout it. And what we really see uh, and what's been happening in Bitcoin and what will be built on top of Bitcoin has this much more powerful abundance for all um, application. And the people that are involved are the people that we've spoken to since like launching this, since announcing this. I think we've been blown away. I think you're empowered by the, the notion of exactly what you're saying of they're not in this for alpha. Um, alpha is secondary. Um, but they're in this for a, a lifting of the world, of helping other people out. Um, and that that's incredibly powerful. And that's something that I think like you're very, very lucky if at any other at any other point in your life, you, you get to do that. I think as like a dad, um, you have the opportunity to do that with your kids and, and have something that, that's impactful outside of yourself. But to have something and to be involved with something that has the potential to impact the world, I think at the scale with um, with this is, is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And I think like when we go back to the name and um, people resonating with that after we announced it, it did resonate with people. Um, this wasn't uh, Booth, Pitt, Lechuga Capital. This, this was something that, that removed us from the equation. It was like, this is the mission of what we want to do and this idea of this abundance for all mindset and building with what we feel is the only solution to build on top of. Um, incredibly exciting. Yeah. When you read your name, my first reaction, I guess it was Jeff Booth's blog post or whatever. I I forget. I guess he put it on Twitter or something. And when I first read the name, I thought it was pretty aggressive. 
But then yes. I read it again. I'm like, oh, wait, ego death. Yeah, no, I I, I get. But when you first read it, you're like, wow, this is like pretty, this is like, it definitely stands out, you know, yeah. this is an aggressive kind of name. But then you you read it a second time, or I had to anyway. I'm like, okay, I, I get I get what these guys are up to here. Um, okay, cool. So tell us, so what's, I want to ask about both of your Bitcoin story, because I feel like people who aren't into Bitcoin hear other people's story, and then it helps them kind of figure things out for themselves. But what's the goal now with Ego Death Capital? So maybe like, what is the long-term goal? Where are you at now with it? Can you tell us a bit more? Yeah. So the, the long-term goal of Ego Death Capital is we want to invest in the best entrepreneurs that are building applications on top of Bitcoin. So the, 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 the updates of um, Taproot and then the announced white paper of like Tarot on Lightning, we feel like there's going to be this huge wave of application development on top of Bitcoin. And that those applications will bring uh, an abundant future to, to the world. And those will have a broad ranging impact um, to people everywhere. We think like leaning on one of our, our advisors, um, Lynn Alden, those applications in the Bitcoin space or investment space will have a lower speculation, uh, higher utility. And we're like incredibly, incredibly excited about that. Um, I think in my Bitcoin story of like coming into it, um, I was first uh, introduced to it. I, I mean, pretty early on of, of seeing the, the transactions that I think as uh, like Vice had an article on like the Silk Road in like the early 20. 2010, like uh, 2013 or something like that. And I think like from that standpoint, it was like fascinating of, oh, this thing is being used in, um, on a website uh, through Tor. And that was interesting. I didn't really dive into like buying any of it until 2017 um, and like that height. And then I didn't really look at like the impact that it would have into my life and my kids' lives until we have the pandemic in like 2020s and looking at the impact of like, running a business that requires constant purchasing of goods and seeing the price of those goods go up by 30%, seeing the, the uh, monetary supply increase by 40%. And then looking at like that value of that business as it impacted uh, my kids and my future of like, well, what is, what is the most powerful thing that I could be using? And that, I think that the light bulb of the Bitcoin light bulb like truly went off. Yeah, cool. And then, sorry, Andy, before we get to you, why why those pieces of technology? Like, why Tarot on Lightning? Like, what is it that you're thinking that might enable? So we think our our basic thesis is up until this point, you couldn't really build um, massive applications on top of Bitcoin. There, you could do a number. Like a lot of it has been peer to peer money, um, streaming of money, which the solutions have been. There's some incredible solutions that have been built to date. Um, we think with the multi-sigs with Taproot really enabling the, the freeing up of these like scaling solutions and Tarot allowing for um, tokenized economies, uh, stable coins, and just the building blocks that can be built on top of that. We still don't think we'll actually know what that looks like for another probably six to nine months. We think that this is the most exciting uh, space to be in. And that if we look at like broader development in general, um, as we dive into alts and what's the problem with those alt coins, you realize that they've compromised on security and or decentralization uh, for scalability. And that with these upgrades, Bitcoin is now the most scalable, the most secure, the most decentralized and cheapest monetary and informational network in the world. Um, 
And why wouldn't you want to bet on that with the impact that it can make on other people's lives? Yeah, there's something I just can't stop thinking about with this whole Bitcoin development. It's when I was at Oracle in the late 90s. I remember Larry, do you know do you know Larry Ellison? Like how old am I? Do you know these names? Larry Ellison? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, okay. One of the, it's still one of the richest guys in the world. Yeah. Um, so he was this, you know, the founder, CEO of Oracle, like forever. He would send emails around internally, kind of poking fun at Bill Gates and the client server architecture. And we'd get these big, long emails and he was really early. He called it network computing architecture. And he was basically articulating that like this whole idea for those people who don't know client server architecture in the IT world was you go around to everybody's computer, you install a piece of software, that software then connects to a server and gets the information that it needs from a big bad database. And it would pull the information and then the software on your computer would, you know, kind of take the information and put it into charts and make it usable for you. And the reason it was like that is that the network infrastructure just really didn't allow for a lot of information passing through the network. So you kind of had to divide things like that. And what's called client, that was your computer and the server. If I, I don't know if you, if you know all this terminology or I don't, I, I just don't know if this stuff's common knowledge or not, but anyway, he made fun of it. He's like, this is crazy because now every IT department in the world, when they upgrade to new software, if you're a company with like 500 people, and let's say you have, you know, hundred remote people somewhere, you literally have to go to all these computers and update the software individually, computer by computer. And if somebody's on a different Mac or a different windows machine, it's all kind of, you know, problematic. And he was saying, this is not the way to go that we're we're going to evolve to this network computing architecture. And I remember at the time thinking he was like, so right. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so obvious. But for the next three or four years, everybody poured into client server architecture because that's where all the action was. And more and more people got like Windows NT certifications. It was a, a form of Windows back then, an older form of, of Windows. I just look at you guys and I know you're so young. I'm like, Jesus, were you even born when this stuff was, was around? But anyway, um, so everybody got this stuff and it evolved. People really the client server model really took off for another several years. And then slowly under the covers, network bandwidth grew and the web-based programming interfaces got better so that you could actually build things that were usable through a browser where you could actually have multiple forms and buttons and graphics popping up in real time. And then as soon as that happened, there was this transition. It was almost the death of client server architecture and this emergence of everything on the web. And the, one of the first big companies to come out of that was salesforce.com. Mm -hmm. I worked at NetSuite, which was a competitor, but you couldn't put accounting information into the quote unquote cloud because the interface on the web was, it just wasn't good enough. But almost overnight, even though it took years, almost overnight, there was this like instant shift where the old architecture that really wasn't um, as good was replaced with this newer architecture that was like web-based and distributed. And you could just update the software at the server and everybody through their browser got to use the latest version. Right. And I, I feel like I'm seeing the same pattern evolve with everything to do with Bitcoin and, and, you know, crypto. I feel like there's this, all this excitement and development with all these like altcoins and all this other stuff. And there's like, all these things happening and people are getting all pumped up, but I feel like Bitcoin's just laying down the foundation slow and steady. You know, there's Bitcoin and it's evolving, becoming more and more distributed. And now there's lightning evolving on it. And now lightning's, you know, having more different 
kind of technology that it can do, like like you're saying, Nico, with tarot. I think it's uh, pronounced tarot. I don't even know tarot on lightning, um, and it's opening up all this future possibility that we don't even know. And I just feel like I've seen this pattern before. Like everybody gets excited about one space, but this like better architecture is building and it's just happening. And then almost overnight, it's just everywhere. And it feels like I've seen the same story before. Sorry for this long-winded thing. I feel like I just took over the podcast. It just like, I can't believe that it's happening again. Like everybody's getting caught with all this hype stuff, but you know, there's this thing kind of Bitcoin that's just evolving slowly and properly. And it's really going to just dominate and that's just the way it is. Like it's going to do it by itself, whether you want it to or not. So sorry, I just felt like obligated to share that. There, there you go. There you go. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's it's really interesting, and we're looking a lot at kind of the technological shifts that were happening in the '90s because we do see Bitcoin as being kind of akin. Right now, it's akin to where the internet was in the mid 1990s. It's the fastest adopted technology ever, but so faster than the internet, but the level is similar to where the internet was in the mid 1990s. So as we're looking at some of these shifts, like things that worked, things that didn't work, it's actually like really, really useful to think and consider these types of technologies that were coming out in the 90s on the internet. Um, but it's funny, I think with the rest of the crypto and like you were saying with the network architecture, people I think often get caught up in an idea and this is what everyone is talking about and all their peers are talking about. And so they're saying it, so it must be right. and there's sort of this collective group think that happens um, until something really breaks down. And now we just see time and time again in the altcoin space issues, problems. Obviously, Lunar is this big example and maybe we'll shift things a little bit and kind of really bring that to light for people. But um, yeah, it is interesting. There's so much hype and craziness in the rest of the crypto market, but Bitcoin is just building a solid foundation. At the same time, it does feel like we're at an inflection point in Bitcoin with what's being created on the Lightning Network and where we're at in terms of development. And some of the companies we're talking to and the ideas they have and the technology that they're creating, it's just super exciting. Yeah. And so what can you share with us about that, that you're allowed to share or whatever? Um, what, what are some of the companies that you think you would like to be investing in? Is there a certain type? Is it a person type of technology? Like, what are you guys going to be looking for? What can you tell us? Yeah. Well, I mean, what we're really looking for is companies that are solving real problems. So problems that are faced by pe millions of people all around the world and coming up with a really innovative solution that in some way is based on Bitcoin. Um, so bringing Bitcoin to the world, using Bitcoin in a really scalable way. Uh, a lot of what, there, there's a few different companies we'll be looking at right now. There is still a way to go in terms of the technological development of Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. So for instance, companies that are building out infrastructure, um, capital management solutions for the Bitcoin and Lightning Networks um, there's a lot of growth in that. But then what's really coming to light now is Bitcoin's uh, power as a fast and cheap form of monetary transactions. And so at the moment in the US, like we were talking about the cost of remittances being really, really high and how that's um, really obvious. But even in the US, 2 to 3% of GDP is actually just financial transactions, which again is an inefficiency. Um, so we don't feel the pain every day, but there is this pain there and it does create a lot of barriers and issues for companies and individuals. If you think about, say, a merchant not being able to accept a transaction of less than $10 because the fee is just too high. Um, and so what we're seeing is some really interesting ideas using Bitcoin payment rails as a way to solve these issues of transactions in the fiat space being really, really expensive and having and also slow. Um, 
and what's really exciting is particularly with Taro, which is this new technology allowing basically stable coins and to be built on top of lightning and what you might what you'll see is that the payment rails don't even have to look like bitcoin so the users of these of these payment solutions will just see usd to usd and they won't actually even might not even realize that they're using bitcoin underneath it um so that's what gets us some of the types of ideas that get us really excited and then, so that's huge and it has a global impact. Do you think some of these technologies can really penetrate into some countries where the existing establishment may not necessarily want them? Because I think in Canada right now, we don't have some of the, ca- like we don't have Cash App in Canada. We don't have some of the lightning functionality that, you know, the U.S. has. Um, can you, do you think some of these technologies just infiltrate into countries, even if the established financial network or system is kind of, th- considers them a threat? Like how do, how do how do you see that evolving? Because I feel like in Canada we're so dominated by like five or six huge banks in this particular country. Mm. And I'm like oh, I don't know. Like I feel like I want this stuff immediately as a as an end user, but can it penetrate in here, or is it just going to take forever? What comes to mind? And it's a similar market to Australia, I would say, where you have this domination by a small group of banks. And in a way, it's similar in the US. Um, there's an extent to which governments can regulate and existing companies can try and keep down new technology, but you get to a tipping point where uh, no amount of regulation, if people want a technology and it's being developed and it's coming to the technology is being available, governments and companies won't be able to stop that from happening is, is my sense. Um, they're going to try and it will vary by, by company, but I, or by country. But I think what's really encouraging is countries like the US, for instance, really wanting to be that hub for innovation in the world and wanting, recognizing that to be that hub for innovation, so much of what's currently happening in innovation is is around the crypto landscape and Bitcoin. Um, And so if they're not involved in it, they're going to be left behind. And we have, we have conversations with companies, whether it's, you know, partners at Goldman Sachs that I've, that I know, or people working with huge corporations all around the world, and everyone is talking about crypto. And so there's just, when, People, when it gets to that scale that it's crossed that crossing the chasm moment, we call it, if you look at kind of technological adoption, governments and companies just aren't going to be able to stop it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. And I think it feels like we're kind of right at that point now. So for you guys starting this right now, kind of seems interesting. And then I guess... Nico, do you see the same thing in, in your kind of peer network? Or is that the conversations people are having? Are people just constantly talking about this stuff? Because if we're at that point, then yeah, we're at this weird tipping point. I think that we're at a place where when we're having these conversations with founders or with other people, investors within the space, um, I think it's very, very clear that the, the smartest, most driven people in the room are in this room. And, um, and they're driven by like creating solutions that, are not part of this hype cycle. So we're not looking to have like a, an ICO of something, have this price blast off to the roof and take advantage of everybody that's pushed that price up. Wow, it falls back down. They're looking for these long lasting solutions. So a lot of times when we're talking through these and we're looking at companies, I'm thinking about like my grandma who's in her 80s, late 80s and saying, is this something that could be implemented in her like stream of life and her not even realize like that was using Bitcoin? Like, I think like that's, that's the, the interesting use case. Like you talk about certain things being regulated in Canada, in New York, there, there's a pretty stringent regulation mm-hmm. on the number of applications. 
What we think though, uh, where this is moving, um, and this is the great thing about a venture fund is it allows the companies a time frame, the time frame to really like breathe, grow, mature, is that using those Bitcoin rails, the companies that are building on top of it, the information that they're sending across, the end user probably will not even realize like they're using a Bitcoin rail mm-hmm. and that'll have made their life um, better in like their transaction costs will get lower. Um, the speed, the, the counterparty risk in certain of these examples will be gone. Um, the, their life will be improved and in, in, in the long term. And we think like that's, that's incredibly exciting. Yeah, I think you're right. From two years ago, from us talking about Bitcoin, the conversation has already morphed because two years ago, it was like, oh, why do I want this thing? I think it's kind of like a scam or pyramid scheme, like, you know, all these kind of thoughts. And then we just did an in-person event for our clients. First one in like two years, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago. And the questions we had after, because we had like a, a side discussion about the history of money, and we were kind of taking some of the concepts Safedine's uh, summarized in his book, The Bitcoin Standard, and just walking people through like, you know, seashells to gold to Bitcoin. And then the conversations at the end of that weren't any more of like, ah, what's this Bitcoin thing? It was, how do I buy it? Mm-hmm. Also, this is where you guys come into play. Everybody was confused on how to buy it. Like, so anyone who's, you know, I guess 45 years or older, we're all like, I don't even know. Like, do I go to my bank? Do I have somebody uh, told me that they owned something else that they thought they had Bitcoin, but they had something else entirely. Someone else was buying it from their bank, but wanted to know if they could withdraw it, but it was inside their bank. It's an ETF. There's a, there's a Bitcoin ETF up here in Canada. There's actually a few of them. Um, so we moved to the point where everyone's just kind of confused. They don't know how to get it. So if we get, if we evolve to the point where you're thinking some of the companies will create solutions where people won't even know they're using Bitcoin, that will really change the game because right now it feels like a lot of people want to just buy some, but they don't even know, like, you know, what's an exchange, right? How do I, what I make an account on the exchange? Like that's where a lot of people are at. We think that the ramps like have to be improved dramatically for, for like that, for buying in general, like the ramp on off has to be improved dramatically. We also think that while the underlying technology is like incredibly exciting and the most exciting thing that we're seeing, the like UI UX that you're talking about, like how everyone's going to geek out on it. Not everyone will geek out. (laughs) But how intuitive is this? And, and um, when we were at Bitcoin Miami, it was really interesting as to like these developers are like, we need more um, of these front end, like branding type people uh, to just understand this flow so that people, it it just becomes like that much more intuitive. Yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. So hopefully you guys deploy capital. It's like the invention of the browser for the internet, you know, that made it usable. That's what we need. Yeah, totally. That's exactly what we need. Like when Hotmail (laughs) first came out and Hotmail changed email for everyone. Right. And you guys are really young. You probably don't even remember when Hotmail came out. Okay. I remember remember when Hotmail came out. I had my first email in Hotmail. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we all did. It was like Hotmail. Now I see someone with a Hotmail account and I'm like, you still use Hotmail? (laughs) What's wrong with Hotmail? I think they're kind of cool and retro now. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The funniest I, I, part of that, I think, like going back is like when I, I would have like my parents are like the, this distrust at that time period. So they'll like put your name, but like have a string of numbers behind it. And now yeah. like when new networks open up, like if you're really early, I could have like Nico at like whatever the thing is. And I would love that. But like it's 
It's uh, these oh, older yeah. mail accounts. Yeah, I have like a string of numbers behind like my name yeah. on it. Um, yeah. Very yeah. I remember when people said they'll never, you'll never put accounting software into the internet. Like no one's right. going to take their most cherished data for their company. That was the conversation. That is what we used to sell against at NetSuite. This is like 2005. Like, no, no one's going to take their accounting software and, wow. or sorry, data and put it into the cloud. That's the lifeblood of their business. They're not going to do that. Now, I don't think anyone even thinks twice. And if you don't have like a cloud solution, people get pissed. Now you people know? put their DNA on the cloud. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but it's it. funny. That's what we used yeah. to really yeah. sell. That was our sales. Fun. Like that was a challenge of trying to convince some companies like, hey, wow. listen, here's what you're going to save. It's actually going to be more secure. Yeah. Um, it'll be more convenient. And it's funny how every technology goes through that. And I feel like mm. kind of Bitcoin's at, at that moment, right? I need to ask who wrote this. Or you don't, I don't know if you need to tell me who wrote it, but on your website, you have this thing, Pillars. It says Bitcoin, the foundation, abundance for all, no ego, no bullshit, only the best rebels plus rule breakers, dreamers plus leaders towards a united world. I love it. What's the deal? Who, you know, who wrote that on the website? Why do you guys have that on the website? Um, so we have those pillars and then we have the values that are like right up there too. Uh, and we went through this exercise while we were doing the branding uh, with Lauren, actually my wife, like going through it. And I think that it's been helpful in every company that I've had and that what it allows us to do is it allows us to very quickly before we get into like even an, and an, is this an investment, but like, does this, does this company make sense? Um, do potential partners have the same values that we have? Do they have the same pillars that we have? Um, and to synthesize that pretty quickly, we can tell, I would say within the first few minutes um, of a call, whether someone or a company is like in a, a fit and we can move to the, to the next stage. Um, because if they don't hold those same values or the same structure that we have, um, it's, probably, it's probably not gonna be a fit, but it helps to synthesize that data very, very quickly. And then so that Andy, uh, Jeff, Preston, Lynn, all of the people that are involved with the fund um, understand like the same, have the same frame of mind as to, to what it represents. And then what can you tell us? Um, and by the way, Andy, I, I need to get this from you. I don't know if we got your Bitcoin moment. Did we get, did we get to that? Or Bitcoin moment. Yeah. Like kind of just where it clicked for you. I think when Nico, you said during kind of the COVID lock, during those lockdowns or that mm. period, that's really when you began to focus on it, even though you bought some in 2017. Yes. Yeah. By the way, in 2017, somebody who does the AV at one of our events turned over to me and showed me on his phone. He's like, I bought this Bitcoin stuff on his Love visa it. card or, or something. And I just looked at it going, Oh God, like, what do you, don't show me that. What are you doing? Let me save you. Let right. me save you. <laughs> this stuff's ridiculous. You know, it's funny how like everything's kind of turned around. But uh, but Andy, did we get that from you? No. So what? I mean, I think I'm like a lot of people. I first came across Bitcoin. I mean, I, I came across it many many years ago. Um, I first got involved, I would say, in crypto more broadly in 2018 when I left Goldman. And I was traveling. I ended up going to a crypto castle party in France. And <laughs> like everyone was crazy and everyone totally building crazy things in crypto. And, um, and then at conf this conference tech open air in Berlin. And I was really put off because all of the people were talking about <laughs> blockchain and crypto. And I was like, none of this makes any sense. Like all of the use cases you're talking about don't make any sense. Like you're saying, okay, we'll put it on the blockchain, but the only reason you want to put something quote unquote on the blockchain is 
if it's decentralized. Like the only reason to have a blockchain is for that decentralization, i.e. you have no single point of trust. And everything they were talking about, I was like, you just have a database. Like you don't need to put it on the blockchain. You just have a database. So I was just like, I didn't see the potential of Bitcoin because there was so much noise. And I still think that's a lot of the problem with crypto and people coming at it, that there's so much noise to get to the heart of like the true value and what it can create um, is very difficult. So uh, I think it was also for me 2020 and I was outside of the US then, but had all of my assets sitting in the US um, and I was in, and some in Australia and investing some in Australia, some in the US and, and I was thinking Australia is going to do, I was like thinking all around the world, which countries are going to do well from the pandemic? What's going to be there? Where should I be investing? I had a bunch of money that I needed to invest. So it was perfect March, 2020, great time to invest. Um, it's always good to invest when everything's falling apart. Um, <laughs> so, um, and that's when I started seeing the US printing money and this ability that they had to print money. And then being any, if any other country did that, their currency would completely devalue, imports would become more expensive or destroy their economy. But the US, just by being this reserve currency, could just seemingly print endless amounts of money. Their currency was still high because it was the flight to quote unquote safety. Um, and it just kind of didn't make sense to me. And I was seeing that how that was being so beneficial to the US, but then also being extraordinarily unsustainable. And so that was then again around that time that I also started seeing, well, I live outside the US. I don't know what currency I want my money to be in. I don't know where I want to have my investments. It's so hard to know. And then I was like, Bitcoin is the world's currency. And it suddenly clicked like for as the, as the world globalizes, technology globalizes, travel, everything is becoming more global. And yet money is still so local and so national based. So it kind of clicked that it's that next evolution of human civilization and globalization is to actually have the global money. And then you start thinking about all of the impact it has on politics and really being a democratization force and this unifying yeah. force for the world. And, and that for me is, I mean, there's so much that I love about it, but that for me is really, really powerful the potential to be that kind of unifying force for the world. Yeah, you guys are a good combo because you kind of have a perspective outside of the US. And Nico, you seem to be, you have a perspective that's greater than the US as well. I just, I feel like sometimes I speak to some Americans and there's just so much opportunity in the US and so much going on that you kind of sometimes don't get that worldview and you seem to have it, which is, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that's come to you, but that's very cool because it's not completely common. So, and then, but together you guys are a really powerful team. And I, and I totally agree with, you. oh, sorry, Nico, go ahead. No, no, I think that comes from like the background of like being in PE that was looking at these like frontier and emerging markets and you start to travel yeah, to got those it. areas yeah, and you yeah, see yeah. like the, the impact that these things like have on people that you just take for granted um, in, a, in, a, in a Western space. And then you start to broaden your mind. Like Andy and I have this huge shared passion for um, foreign affairs on, on top of that. So it's funny you're talking to, some of the people involved in the fund and they're like, well, what are you reading? Like you cross off the normal um, uh, publications that are very like Bitcoin centric. And then you like to broaden the mind. Like I love, we love reading like the Economist. We love reading um, foreign affairs, like council on foreign relations like that, that we think then you can get uh, a good macro picture as to what the pain points are or what the, the is happening throughout the world and how, some of these solutions can, you get a little tip as to how some of those solutions can impact those, um, those pain points. Like Lynn right now, Lynn and Jeff are in Norway and um, 
Lynn has discussed with a number of people, and I'm going to blank off the top of my head of a number of these countries, but from Venezuela, Nigeria, uh, ones with these uh, hyperinflation, oppressive regi- regimes, um, how Bitcoin has become this like safe haven for them. They're able to store uh, value. They're able to um, send money. And it's amazing because like I can't remember uh, my 12-word seed phrase or 24 that I have in some of these wallets. But these people in like these dire um, uh, situations are able to memorize that, not have anything on them, travel halfway around the world and can recover their money. And that's like an incredible thing. It's game changing. Like my father, when the country was called Yugoslavia, my father tried to escape two or three times. He finally got out by going to the Austrian border, climbed over some mountains, um, and uh, got to the Austrian border and declared refugee status. Just imagine if he could, and then, you know, whatever you have on you can be taken or, you know, whatever. Imagine at that point, if he had some money and he could just remember the 12 word, you know, or 24 word seed phrase, like it, it is a game changer, you know? Um, and I think that history is like lost, but that was my father. That was like one generation ago, wow. him leaving that country. And he tried to get it out two or three times and, you know, kept getting caught and put back and he finally gets out. But when you're out, you have nothing. Right. Imagine you can get out with just something. Right. right? And uh, anyway, um, something that you said, I just want to bring attention to Andy, what you said, because I think it's because I used to work at Oracle, a big database company before they went to enterprise software. I do the same thing when I see a lot of the blockchain stuff. I'm always like, hey, um, there's things <laughs> called database, like, I go, I don't know. Like, there's this thing like as a database, you know, and we can make it distributed if you want. Like we could put three or four of them around the world. They'll all replicate to each other. And I'm always just like scratching my head. I'm like, yeah. am I missing it? Like, am I just, am I, you know? So for you to have that realization the way you did is like really, really cool. I would say that's pretty advanced. Cause like I happened to work at a database company. I sold database. I was actually in the database part of the company. Right. So, so I was like, when when I see the blockchain stuff, it always, I'm always like, am I, what is like, what am I missing here? Like, I don't get it. Where's the value? The only value is if you don't want to have any, have to rely on a single person. Yeah. That's, that's the only, and that's why like all of these other cryptocurrencies don't make any sense because they have like three validators sometimes on some of these chains, which are very well known and have huge market caps all of the validators are run by the foundation that created the cryptocurrency. Oh, like, really? What the okay. hell is the point of even having a blockchain and having a cryptocurrency, like a quote unquote decentralized led- distributed yeah. ledger? I'm so if happy you're saying it this way. it's all just a single point, like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so many times I'm just like, I must, am I missing? Like I keep questioning myself. Am I missing something? Like, <laughs> no, what am no. I missing? What am I, I don't get it. You know, I run a full Bitcoin node right here on my desk, by the way. Oh, and I'm awesome. like, with this tiny little piece of hardware, it's probably like in Canadian dollars, probably like $220 worth of hardware. I can run yeah. a full Bitcoin node right here. Yeah. You know, like, and I that's feel the like beauty I'm, of, sorry, I was going to say, that's the beauty no, of Bitcoin I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Yeah, can yeah. run a node and that's why, that's what keeps it truly decentralized and yeah. going to proof of work versus proof of stake, but proof of stake is highly centralizing. And so you're getting away from the entire purpose of having a distributed ledger. So it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. You guys are a signpost for me because I feel like you coming to market with what you're doing now, focused on what you're doing, just means it's another step towards where I think it's kind of inevitable of the impact that Bitcoin has globally. 
So I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. I mean, you don't know us. It can be awkward coming onto a podcast and speaking and sharing when you don't know the person too well. So I really just want to thank you guys for doing what you're doing and know that there's a whole bunch of us out here cheering for what you're doing. And as, as you evolve, um, I don't know what you can share about what you're doing right now. Like, are you, you're not raising money, right? Well, you tell me what you can, I don't even know what you can say and not say, where are you and how will people, how can people follow along with you best? I think the best thing that people can do right now is you could follow the Twitter and we'll be posting updates on there. Like we're going to announce a tech advisor pretty quickly. Um, and we'll be announcing like what we're looking at investment wise and then subscribe to our newsletter. We have this great newsletter on the site. So we'll, that was where Jeff's original post uh, was released on the fund. Um, it's where other articles will come out as to like Andy hit on like proof of work versus proof of stake. We, she has a great article that we'll post at some point on the energy uh, component. And uh, we think great. it's going to be, it's pretty interesting. Um, and people can follow along there. And then, yeah, we're, we're here. We're, we're very accessible. You can reach out. We're on Twitter. We have through online and yeah, we, a lot of updates will be shared there. Okay, cool. So in the show notes, I'll have both your Twitter handles. You're both on Twitter, correct? Yeah. I'll have both your Twitter handles. I'll have the Ego Death Capital website uh, linked on there. And Ego Death Capital has its own Twitter handle as well, I believe. I believe I'm yeah. following it already. So I'll have that on there. So anyone listening to this, you can get all links there. Um, and anything else you wanted to share kind of before we wrap up? I think like we're just so excited to be part of this community. I think like as we have talked to different other people that have been... Um, uh, I would say interested in what we're doing. It's very, very clear those that have this Bitcoin background and those that are just from a pure alpha space uh, in, in like the, the area yeah. in general. And the difference becomes exactly what you hit on earlier on. And that in those times, like right now is, is a pain point in the world as we have this, uh, this macro kind of like pullback. Um, and some altcoins being like falling apart and the incredible pain that that's, that's causing other people and the people within this Bitcoin space, I feel like truly want to help and want to develop like great empower, impactful solutions for the world. And that's incredibly powerful to be a part of. Yeah. It's all, and it, I, it's really exciting for me to see what you guys are doing. Like you doing, I, this sounds kind of maybe slightly even ridiculous and cheesy, um, but just for me, seeing what you're doing kind of gives me hope for my children. You know, my children are a bit older right now, 16 and 20, but I'm like, wow, the future is bright because I feel like in the past to protect ourselves financially from stuff, you kind of had to do things like we talked about real estate, right? You get into kind of real, you're full, you're almost full. I, I often say that like our business is basically the savings account. Like you used to go to a bank and open a checking account and savings account. Then nobody opened a savings account and the savings account became in Canada anyway, real estate, right? You know, like, so we we replaced the savings account button on the ATM. Like that's kind of like mm -hmm. what happened, right? And I feel, um, which is fine, but I feel like there is now this thing that we can all focus on together in our different ways that can really lift all of us and it presents all kinds of incredible uh, possibilities in the future. So for me, seeing you both doing what you're doing, just know that there's people here cheering for you. Really, I mean that sincerely. So thank you for, for doing this. And um, Andy, did you have any last words? Well, I let Nico in there and I didn't, didn't, didn't know. No, no, I totally say. agree with what Nico said. And yeah, just, wanted to concur like it's so exciting to be part of the community um, really really grateful and humbled by 
humbled by all the people we're meeting and yeah, grateful to be a part of it. And like you said, I think really, really excited about the future and what, what it's bringing. I know we've got a lot of challenges in the world, but um, yeah, we see a huge amount of hope and excitement as well. So um, yeah, very, I think a lot to look forward to in the next few years. Yeah, very cool. We'll be following along, tracking your journey, excited to do so. Thanks both of you for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thank you so Thank much. You, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Andy and Nico. I'm really excited to see where this space, how this space evolves and to see what they do with Ego Death Capital over the next few years. You can learn more about them by going to the URL egodeath.capital. So that's egodeath.capital and you can learn more about what they are up to. Some of the things we couldn't talk about on the episode, they're in the middle of, um, you know, setting everything up. Let's just leave it that way. Next time we have them on, I'm sure we'll be able to get into some details at some of the companies that they're investing in. Some of the details uh, behind that should be really exciting. This is the forefront of technology and, and a monetary system that we want to keep our eyes on. We're big believers in following trends and they're really on the cutting edge of it. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the real estate market here to build a portfolio of real estate properties for yourself, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports and pick different reports on population growth or case studies of investors, how different strategies are being used by investors in this area. It's all available to you in a series of different reports available at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.